This is Brian Billick. I'm glad to be joined by my partner, Denny Green. Welcome to the Coach Show Podcast. Here we go. Well, Coach, let's uh, let's start off. We've got a lot to talk about, but let's let's revisit the rookie quarterbacks that obviously, with the exception of RG3, had a rough outing to start last week. Uh, fared a little bit better this week. Yeah, they did. The uh, you know three of them had wins. Uh, Tannehill and, and Miami got a win. Obviously, uh, uh, Russell Wilson big win for Seattle, all but at home against uh, the Dallas Cowboys. And then uh, Andrew Luck led them back in the last minute to uh, uh, pull ahead at home and beat uh, the Minnesota Vikings. So uh, they obviously and and last week they had nine interceptions between the group. This week they only had two. So it's a di- you know what a difference a week makes. I think it's a big difference for them because it shows that the guys are starting to comprehend the offense. Uh, understand that the game isn't too big for them and that they don't have to do everything themselves. And I think when you throw interceptions, that's exactly what it means. Now, RG3, you know, he did not win last week. He could have won last week. He did have one interception. So he had a little bit more of a game that was down the earth and and not necessarily the best game of any rookie in their first game ever. So I I thought, all you know, all five of the guys are going to be, I think, solid performers. Uh, The Browns played one of their better games in a, a, you know, interstate rivalry. Uh, They played very well against Cincinnati Bengals. So, well, that was Wheaton the most, had a solid game. That was the most dramatic. Wheaton, who was just miserable the first week, obviously, uh, all but against a good um, Philadelphia Eagle team. But Wheaton, you know, he was 26-37 for better than 300 yards, two TDs. He, he actually played well, and you could see why, okay, this, guy, this guy's got a future. Yeah, and you know what? I think it, it, uh, the West Coast offense, I mean, that's what Tannehill's playing. That's what Wheaton's playing. I think it is suited for them. And if they go out there, and as we used to say, just drive the car. I mean, don't, don't try to make everything happen. Just go out there and then operate the offense, drive the car, then you're not going to throw interceptions. Be ready to drop the ball off in the flat. Be ready to drop the ball off to the backs behind the line of scrimmage. Let those guys run for yardage. And I think all four of those guys felt like, uh, like better. And manageable numbers, as we talked about, you, you, you want to keep your rookie quarterback between 25 and 30 throws a game. And and we had that. Uh, uh, Andrew Luck in my game, I had the Minnesota and Indianapolis game, threw the ball 31 times, so just a little bit over. But, again, very much in control of the game. RG3, again, kept it within. He was 20-29. to 29. Right. He didn't have a bad day. No, he didn't. It just he came back to earth a little bit. But he And he wasn't necessarily the reason they lost to the Los <laughs> An- or to, uh, St. Louis Rams. Uh, but Luck had 31 throws. RG3 threw it 29 times. Uh, Wilson threw it 20 times. So, you know, they're they're finding that formula for these young guys to make sure they don't get exposed too much too early. Yeah, and if you make the commitment to go to the young guy, then that's part of it. And and so I think that that becomes important. I mean, you get a win. I mean, no one could Miami beat the Raiders. It was a matchup. They were both teams that are not highly rated. Whoever played better that day was going to win the ball game. Miami played better. Raiders still haven't got a, uh, have not got a, a win yet. Uh, Seattle, that was a surprise because most people, myself included, expected Dallas to say, okay, we played well against the Giants. Now we're going to be up 2-0. We're going to get ourselves running. Wilson played well. Tony Romo did not play well. I thought he would play better. And I think also the win with Luck. So those three of those guys, if you make that commitment to go with those first-year players, now you got to just make sure you don't have those guys trying to do everything. But all three of them came out pretty well. Yeah, Dallas is, you know, I keep using my jilted lover reference. that Every time they pull me in and I, I fall in love, then they they uh, turn on me again. And that, so That was like the Chicago Bears. I know last week we, they asked you the question, now the, does that mean that Jay Cutler's ready to leave the Bears to the Super Bowl, and I thought, uh, well, how about if he leads them to victory in Green so Bay? That's fast. a good start. Not so fast, yeah. Uh-huh. He, uh, and he learned his lesson, obviously, calling out the uh, 
the uh, Green Bay Packers. And well, uh, so the rookies, uh, not not a bad day. So it'll be interesting to see now for them to take the next step and see where they go from here. Giants didn't like that hit that was aggressive and put Eli Manning on his backside. I, I don't think you do that at this level. You don't do that in this league. You don't you don't jeopardize not only that. I mean, you jeopardize the offensive line. You jeopardize the quarterback. I don't know if that's not something that's done in the, in the National Football League, but what I do with our football team is we fight until they tell us game over. And there's nothing dirty about it. There's nothing uh, illegal about it. Well, let's talk about uh, one of the things that uh, everybody's talking about right now. Obviously, the New York Giants and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a very good game that Tampa was in control of. Uh, New York did a nice job. Eli Manning had just a huge game, brought New York back, as he typically did four or five times last year, did it here. Uh, at the end of the game, they go up by seven. The game's over. They're going to take a knee. And uh, Siano has his troops uh, get into a goal line dive mode and, and kind of take out the the, uh, the obligatory take a knee, which is not done in this league. And obviously it did not set well with uh, Tom Coughlin and the New York Giants. Uh, the Giants, obviously, I, you know, a lot of people are making about the back and forth. I thought Tom Coughlin was fairly reserved in his comments, basically saying, look, we don't do this. This right. is not right. Siano kind of burred up and, and got Jersey Shore on us a little bit and, and uh, <laughs> said, no, no, at Rutgers, this is the way we roll and this is the way we're going to roll now. I, I'm not sure that uh, we're not going to have to redial this for, for Tampa Bay because I don't know that that's going to hold up. Well, I, I think, first off, I, I just don't think it should be done. I mean, you know, the the uh, New York team decided it was it. They're going to take it. They could have run the ball, but they said, hey, that's it. There's no sense in getting anybody hurt when the game is won. It's locked up. We're going to take a knee, and that's, and that's going to be it and uh, Eli got hit because the guard in the center didn't expect them to charge through like that so Eli did get hit thank God he did not get hurt uh, you know and, and I think what Shano said I don't know what do you mean it's not done that way and the answer is you just say no it isn't done no, that this way. isn't Rutgers you're, you're asking us is it done and we say no it isn't now he can do it if he wants to there's always been that question about uh, you know do the fans deserve to see you play can you take a knee to end the game and so forth and I think a coach can do whatever he chooses to do. well it's always a tough time I mean, we've all been in positions where whether it's you're taking a knee, whether it's a blowout and you're down inside the goal line, you know, do you, do you go ahead and, and run it out or do you right. take a knee there right. or do you lay down? Oh, I don't want to rub it in. Well, right. now you're really insulting the guy. So you can emotionally get drawn into it either way. But I thought it was interesting that and we've all been there. We've burned up. We, we talked earlier. I remember working for you in Minnesota. We had a in our 15 and one year when. We opened up and played Tampa. Big win for us. Had the game won. Uh, we weren't in a, in a victory formation yet. We were just going to run the ball out, bring the clock down, let everybody go home. We got us a big win. And and Monty Kiffin, who was on our your staff before, and Monty and I worked together, they decided to build that box. And if we were just going to hand it off to finish the game, they started blowing up Robert Smith. I got ticked off, so I go vertical. And I shouldn't have. It was an emotional response, and I'm sure you had to go and apologize to our good friend Tony Dungy. But uh, those type of things happen, and when you look back on it is when you now have to realize okay i needed to maybe do something different here well i think what what they're basically saying is that the, you know new york and tom is saying hey we won the game there's no sense in us running a play that's not going to have any significance it's over you don't have any timeouts you cannot stop the clock we don't have to run the play and i i just think again you know the league will look at it again if you if you want them to but they have for many times and just said hey you know when you've taken a knee and and it's it's just like when do you call timeouts on the other team you know if if you're down you're down by more than seven points and uh you know you're going to take three timeouts when they're when they're taking a knee or something so i i just think it's it's too much discussion on a game 
that really was kind of pretty good offensively but very poor defensively. Right. Not enough discussion. I mean, how do you throw for 500 yards at Peyton or that, that, that Eli threw for? And I just think it's going to take up a little bit too much air time this week. Yeah, it, and, and it's – yeah, we'll move on very quickly. The fact of the matter is this league – it, God forbid, what if someone had gotten hurt? Yeah. And a quarterback basically is giving himself up. We, we talk a great deal about protecting players, and right. if you're going to give yourself up, it would have been a penalty in the open field if a player gives himself up Absolutely. and someone tries to come blow him up. So I'm, I would not be surprised if the league, in, particularly in the fact that Shiano kind of burred up and said, look, this is the way we're going to roll, right. that someone from the league doesn't get a hold of Coach Shiano and say, you know what, eh, I think you need to rethink this a little bit. It'll basically right. see what they do going forward right. if in the same situation they do the same thing next time. Well, your point's well taken. You can't hit a guy that's taking a knee. If a guy's taking a knee, then you don't hit the guy. He's protected by, you know, by the rules. And so uh, you can't just blow in and bang guys' knees around and then wind up hitting the quarterback when he's already taken a knee. Uh, let's move on now to uh, really one of the best games, one of the most impactful games. you got Baltimore at Philly. And uh, obviously two very good football teams. And this was, this, this was an interesting game. Baltimore looked very good in the first half. Joe Flacco in the second half, not as good. The, the thing that jumps out at you is the turnovers, that Michael Vick with nine turnovers, uh, seven of the nine, uh, come from Michael Vick, and they're two and zero right now. I mean, that's that just doesn't happen. No, and you know he had three interceptions, in, you know, in the first half. You know, I think the concern would be that that Michael is is not necessarily running the offense the way that it's supposed to be run. I know that he's being talented. He always is. It appears maybe he's not willing to run as much, and so therefore, you know, when you wait for guys to get open and throw the ball, it also gives the defenders a chance to cover those guys and they look at you and see where the ball's going to get a jump on it, and that's anytime you don't have a time throw. So I think a lot of those interceptions have come because of the fact that he's chosen not to run, but he's made up his mind that he's going to find somewhere to throw the ball, and he hasn't been able to get it in there, those it, judgments. It goes back to what we talked about, my concern for Michael Vick going forward, and it was a great win for them, and they are 2-0. and we got to keep that in mind. But there's a lot of things going on with this dynamic, not just Michael Vick balling it up, but, okay, I want to stay healthy. I want to work out of the pocket. A lot of things running around in his head right now that, that uh, may cloud the thing a little bit, and we'll see how it plays itself out for Michael Vick. Uh, and there's even a little bit of uh, talking now in Baltimore. This no huddle of Baltimore has been very successful. Joe Flacco's very good at it. They've got a lot of weapons to do it with. They go in and out of it. They were criticized at the end of the game uh, on, on uh, short yardage, a third and one and fourth and one, for throwing the ball. Right. And and uh, we all know we've been there before. Look, they know on third and one you're probably going to run it. If they want to sell out and you make the determination, okay, they're going to sell out on us, so we're going to take advantage of knowing that. Um, but still, with a third and one, fourth and one, um, and John Harbaugh after the game, to his credit, said – for those that want to question that, yeah, that's a fair question. We, right. we need to look at maybe we should have run the ball there. Well, I think you run the ball if you feel that that's your best play. And, and again, if they've got eight guys stacked in and they did and they were determined to think they know where the ball's gone and we're going to try to jump on Ray Rice, who that's who's going to get the ball, then all you have to do is execute the pass play. And I, I'm sure that Cam Cameron says, hey, guys, we, we this is our short yardage pass play. A short yardage pass play you use when you feel you can use it first, or you can use it second, you can use it third, but you use it when you think that the defense is geared up to stop the run, and that's when you want to really put a dagger in it. And I think that's what they attempted to do, 
and it didn't work. Yeah, and 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 you make those calculations, and then you stay with. As you always said, famous, you know, you you plan your work and you work your plan, and your plan said this was the way what's going to go down. I was a little disappointed. It happened in my game as well. I had the an Indianapolis and Minnesota game, which came down to the very end. It was very good. Um, Joe Flacco, like Gerald Allen, Jared Allen, criticized the the uh, replacement refs. He he thought there was a, a pass interference call uh, that that shouldn't have been made. Uh, and when you do that after a loss, Jared Allen last week can criticize. He said the replacement officials cost me a sack because uh, they took a sack away because he jumped off sides. The right. fact of the matter is he did jump off sides. <laughs> uh, in our game, he got called for an unnecessary roughness uh, personal foul for hitting a quarterback out of bounds. Uh, the fact, and, and again, he was upset. The fact of the matter was, the guy was out of bounds, <laughs> and yet it's the replacement official, officials' fault. When the guys, you know, I wish they could reel that in a little bit because when you lose and you do that, it doesn't have a lot of validity, and it takes away from the fact that yeah, we need better out of these officials. But complaining about it only after you lose doesn't help anything. Well, I don't think anything's going to help it. I mean, the, the league and the and the officials, the regular officials, have made up their mind that they're kind of at loggerheads on this. Who knows when it's going to get better? So I think we're going to have to work with the officials, you know, that we have. And the players know you're not supposed to criticize officials. Now it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what round of fines come. Because if you can't criticize the regular officials, you surely cannot criticize the replacement officials. And, you know, it's the same old thing. A lot of times guys think, well, they're, not, they're calling this on me because they don't know me. You know what I mean? Like, oh, so you're oh, trying to okay. imply yeah, that because right. they know you that you, you really aren't offside. They know the really regular guys know I'm real quick. And they know how explosive it is. They know I can jump the count. And they're used to me being into the backfield and stuff. And, oh, okay. You know, the bottom line is you, you shouldn't criticize the officials, yeah, if, and if, particularly if things don't go the way you want them to if go. If they're going to give them some slack, then then I'm going to contact the league. I want a little of my $75,000 <laughs> back that they got of my money uh, for criticizing officials, if that's the way it's going to go. And they, I know you did it tactfully, too. Uh, that's he, right. But right. the commissioner read through your attack as you <laughs> they, criticize officials. Now. They can make that retroactive. <laughs> that would be fine with me. Gostowski is ready. For the game winner, 42-yard try, snap, ball down, the kick is up, the kick is no good! He missed it wide to the left! One second left, and the Cardinals will take over, they'll take a knee and escape! I thought the other interesting thing on the weekend was, unlike last week where we had some really substantial road wins when New Orleans went in, or excuse me, Washington went in and beat New Orleans, which was a big win, obviously, uh, to open it up when Dallas went in and beat New York. We had some big on-the-road wins. This week, not so much. Uh, the home team pretty much prevailed. You know, Houston went in and beat Jacksonville, but right. I, I don't know if that particularly uh, is uh, it makes my point. Uh, as well as, but there was one big road win: Arizona at New England, and I, this one, uh, this one caught me totally off guard. Well, you know, was at New England normally wins at home. They won ten straight at home. Uh, you think that they're a team that's you know gearing to get themselves right back to Super Bowl? They're going to be in that fourteen and two category, but they've already lost the ball game. You know what happens? They didn't move the ball very well. I mean, uh, you know, Arizona has a good defense. They're very physical. They have very athletic in the secondary. And so, uh, you know, New England was just okay. Tom Brady was just okay. They didn't, they didn't move the ball as well. And then it came down to the end of the game. As we say, you let a team hang around, hang around. Next, you know, they're up on you. You're behind. And that's what happened. Well, and, and 
and at the end of the game, there was an interesting – some people were beginning to criticize, and, and let's talk about because that's what we do. We try to give the coach's perspective. At the end of the game, uh, New England was getting itself in position to kick – uh, a, a what would have been a game-winning field goal. Their kicker had been four for four. They were originally on the 18-yard line. Uh, and some people are saying, well, why would you just capitulate? Why wouldn't you run? You had plenty of time, 45 right. seconds. Why wouldn't you run the ball, try to get better field position? Um, but I don't know. You know, there's a lot of things can happen. A lot of things do happen. First off, they had a touchdown that was called back. And so that was frustrating because there was a holding call. That's what set the ball up in the 18. Then they had a five-year penalty. You know, once you're in field goal range and you need a field goal to win the game, the first thing you try to do is make sure you maintain possession of the ball, get our kicker on the field, and give him a chance to, to win the ball game. Uh, you don't want to fumble. You don't want – and like the, the Cardinals fumbled coming out, so that's how right. they got in that position. And so we know that those things happen. You're not going to risk your pass play. So they felt comfortable that, hey, we're in field goal range, and we're, the guy's going to hit a 42-yarder, which is really a chip shot. He just, he just didn't hit it very well. But I think that this strategy is that when it works – it's great because what happened is you didn't jeopardize the ball, the possession of the ball. You were in field goal range. You got lucky because you had to be lucky to get the turnover. Right, in the first and they place. got lucky and got the turnover. So you're really going to get it in that scenario. Then you surely are not interested in screwing it up by losing the ball, either try, trying to pass it or fumbling the ball. And I think that once they got the call back, I'm not saying that was unnerving, but once they had the touchdown called back, I think then they said, okay, look, we're going to preserve this thing, be in field goal range, kick this field goal, and send those guys home. Yeah, you're always making decisions on the law of averages. I got a guy that's consistent in here. I mean, a very makeable field goal, if ever a thing exists. And uh, you're just going to play the odds, so the orchestration of the game. He's probably more upset with his team for that illegal, illegal procedure and not handling it as well, right? You know, you always coaches. We are always talking about how do you handle the disappointment, the disappointment of the touchdown not being or being negated. Uh, you, you they got to regroup real quick because right. we're in a position to win the game here now, and and so you got to regroup real quickly, put that behind you, whether good call, bad call, just what we're talking about, and and that's the thing that I'm referring to when I talk about a Flacco and a, a, a Jared Allen complaining about the officials. I worry about my team getting too drawn into the fact that it's replacement officials. Is the call legitimate, not legit? Hey, do you, it is what it is, man. Right. <laughs> do your job, and, and there you kind of frayed a little bit. Not that that made a difference because backing up five shouldn't have made a big difference, uh, but you talk about just that fine line between winning and losing. And But let's let's talk about a little bit Arizona's ability to go in. Offensively still struggling a little bit, but Ray Horton's doing a great job with this Arizona defense. They were very impressive. They are. You know, I mean, they have a lot of guys back from that defense. They're very quick in the secondary. Guys are athletic. I mean, they can make some plays. They can run. Uh, you know, Peterson and those guys, they're, they're good. Adrian Wilson is good. So they're they're really good secondary. And I, I think that, you know, the, the – the, uh, New England is still not having the big passing attack. I mean, they're still relying on tight ends. Hernandez got hurt. You know, they're still relying on, on Wes Welker on the inside. And so they're not getting those yardage in those big chunks like right, some of the other right, teams explosive are. plays. And that's the key. You, you can – Tom Brady is brilliant in his efficiency – but at some point, and we've seen it for a while, uh, turnovers and explosive plays yeah. are still the two major determinants for success, and you need to be on that upper end of it on both of those, obviously the turnover ratio and the explosive, because it's an interactive uh, differential. It's not just a matter of, of you getting explosive plays. You can't give up explosive plays because it's huge swings of, of territory, uh, if not a score, 
and that seems to be the challenge right now. I don't know if, if uh, with all these tight ends and Wes Welker and, and the way they're playing kind of small ball like they right. did last year, got them to the Super Bowl, they got to find that explosive element or they could find themselves in problems right. uh, leading up to it You know, the rest of the year. They go and play Baltimore this week. That's going to be a heck and of a game. And they got to go on the road. So yeah. they, they lost their one at home. To be, they had their chance to be 2-0. and They lost it now. Baltimore lost their game. So I think that one of those teams is going to be 1-2, and two, and that's an unexpected 1-2. and two. Yeah, you, and you're going to have a tough time thinking you can play small ball and, and beat uh, and beat uh, Baltimore. Uh, let's look at another game that and talk about the New Orleans Saints uh, when they went into Carolina, lost to the Panthers, 35-27. Um, Obviously, Cam Newton bounced back from first week uh, uh, loss that didn't look very good. Uh, had a good, solid game. Ran the ball very well. Uh, but let's talk more about New Orleans and the difficulties on two fronts. Let's talk one about the, the coaching. It appears that the lack or the uncertainty at the head coaching position is affecting them. I think it is. You know what? I just still look at there's a there's a hierarchy. You know, there really is. I mean, it'd be like, okay, you're the number one guy. You're the offensive coordinator. This guy's the number one guy. the defense coordinator. This guy is the assistant head coach. This guy coaches middle linebackers. This guy is quarterback coach. You know, and, and so there's kind of a hierarchy. And I think that what's happened is that, that Aaron, their head coach now, has been down the line. I mean, they were counting on Sean Payton. He's not there. Okay. Williams is gone. Okay. Joe Vitt can't go. Okay. Uh, Pete Carmichael didn't. Maybe they should have gave it to Pete. Who knows? I'm not trying to second guess him. But I think by the time you get to the fifth guy, he's the fifth commander. Uh, I just don't know. With the schedule, that's not necessarily easy. Right. You know what I mean? It gets tougher you know, as they go. Yeah. And, and so I just think it's really difficult. And there's confusion because once again today they're saying tomorrow, and I don't know where Jonathan Vilmer was yesterday, but tomorrow I'm going to meet with the commission again. So there's all this, am I going to be able to? I'm not going to be able to. And I just think it's the confusion has affected them. It's not as easy just to take somebody out and plug somebody in and say everything is going to be just fine. It, it it has not worked that way for them. Maybe it would be, but I think, again, it makes us realize there's a thing called coaching and there's a thing called leadership, and, and I think they're missing both of those elements. Yeah, you, you obviously in our time in Minnesota and then when I became the head coach in Baltimore, uh, particularly when you're not the primary play caller, your job uh, is to orchestrate the overall temperament of the team. I can remember countless times when as we would be going through a game, um, if if the if the defense was struggling, and they just weren't getting their footing underneath it, that you'd come over and say, "Hey, Brian, you know, you need to crank this thing up because I don't think we're going to hold up, or we got to control these guys." All right, man, we're we're there. Let's right. let's let the air out a little bit and let's let's get out of the game. And you controlled the temperament of the game. I've done the same with my coordinators. How many number of times right. I'd go to Rex Ryan and go, "Okay, I don't know that we need to blitz every down. <laughs> I think we're okay now. Let's back off here a little bit." Uh, that question becomes, "Who's doing that in New Orleans now?" You've right. got your coordinators in charge. Pete Carmichael and Drew Brees are orchestrating the offense. Steve Spagnuolo clearly doing the defense. Uh, can Aaron Krumer clearly be that guy to tell those guys? Because Krumer technically. Carmichael's kind of his boss right. in a normal situation when, when Drew Brees is, or uh, when uh, Sean Payton is there to now say, okay, these, this is the mode I want you in. So that that is part of the equation as well. Also part of the equation for me, Norris just isn't as good on defense. Well, they're not. It's Bagnoli's new also. So he's had to get to know the guys under these difficult situations. I think that Mickey Loomis was not quite 100% of what he had to do. And so they probably have not helped themselves defensively, made the, the decision that they had to make to improve themselves 
Uh, I don't think they've done that. Well, on Spagnola, you know, his biggest challenge, I think, is Greg Williams had a very different style about him. They were all about turnovers. They were committed to, you know, the offense saying, fine, you right. go after it. You give up a couple scores. That's okay because if you get us some turnovers in short field, we're going we're gonna to make up the difference. And they went and won a Super Bowl with that mentality. It also covered up the fact that they weren't real good defensively. Spagnola's a little more basic. Certainly doesn't have the group that he had in New York when he went to the Super Bowl. Uh, and may not even have as good a front seven as he had in, in St. Louis the last couple of years. So this group in the more basic and direct style of a Steve Spagnola, I don't know that it's uh, creating the opportunities or keeping up with the balance of the fact that they still have got an offense that's pretty darn good. Yeah, that's right, and I think that's the key thing. So they, they've got a chance, but it's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough road for them. Their schedule is very difficult as they get going. They, you know, and Again, the better your year is, the more difficult your schedule, and that's what they're going to face in six of the next seven games well they get you know kansas city's coming to town next week and kansas city has its own struggle so you got to look at that and say okay well there's an opportunity for them but then you look at this they're at green bay they then play the chargers they're at tampa bay they're at uh, denver then they play philadelphia then they play oakland or excuse me uh, uh, atlanta uh, they're at Oakland, and then they play the 49ers, Atlanta, New Orleans, or New York Giants. I mean, you look at the schedule. This is uh, seven out of the next nine. This are very could get really dicey. Well, I think it's a it's a it's a schedule that if you're doing everything right, clicking on all all cylinders, that's a good eleven and five, twelve and four schedule, and that means you had a heck of a year. Well, let's uh, uh, let's your neck of the woods. The San Diego Chargers were able to have a really good outing against the Tennessee Titans. Um, Again, the Chargers look solid. I was God, how impressive, great is for Philip Rivers to have Don Terry Rosario step up. Obviously, uh, uh, with with um, uh, the big tight end uh, Gates being hurt and banged up a little bit, he, he's got another weapon. The Chargers look very good. I don't know whether it was how bad the Tennessee Titans looked at San Diego. Uh, obviously, Jake Locker really, really struggled, and uh, 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 you know uh, CJ. 2K or whatever he calls himself. <laughs> Chris uh, Johnson. It ain't happening right now. <laughs> well, you know what? You know, uh, San Diego did play better yesterday. They were not as explosive as they've been because they don't have the run game. They don't have the run game at all. But but uh, without Gates here, Rosario did did a good job. And, and I think that Phillip Rivers did a solid job, too. And he has the ability to find Malcolm Floyd, and they make things uh, happen. Defensively, they kind of stacked the deck for two reasons. One, Tennessee does not throw the ball well. And number two, they're not running the ball well. Now, Chris Johnson should never call his, call his lineman yeah, out like you that. Yeah, hated to see that. We're not doing that. But, I mean, first off, everybody knows – there are no holes. And I know that there's some criticism. He's looking and hunting and pecking too much and so forth. But there have not been any holes there. So he doesn't have to remind everybody there was nowhere to run. It's obvious. People know that. And you shouldn't look to place blame anyway. I think it's a struggle for them. And it's really hard to say why. Uh, you know, I don't know how they, they don't seem like they've improved themselves very much. They look to me about like Jacksonville. And, and yeah. Jacksonville is not a very good team. But Tennessee, there wasn't much chance. I saw that game yesterday. There was not much chance of winning that game against San Diego at all. And San Diego is not a great team. Yeah, Tennessee, I think, has put themselves on a tough course in the sense that last year they, they draft Jake Locker with the eighth pick of the draft. And rather than starting and saying, let's learn, let's, let's go ahead and take our licks, and that will pay off in 2012, they decided instead to go with Hasselbeck. And they had some success. Darn near found their way into the playoffs. Uh, Locker ended up coming in and playing for a little bit. So now they had the quarterback competition, and now Locker's going to be their guy. He has not looked very good. So now what happens if you have to go back? 
I mean, where are you as a team? Do you okay? We're gonna we're gonna just gonna suck it up and continue to get right. Locker better, and we'll take our licks as a team this year, and we'll see what comes in 2013. Or do they panic a little bit and say, well, you know what, Hasselback's sitting here, he could probably orchestrate this a little better? Do they make that happen? That this could get real dicey. Well, it could be. They got the wide receiver Britt back. They didn't have him earlier, so there's there's some reasons why they have not been able to throw the ball real well. I think the puzzling part is on Chris Johnson running the ball that they've not been able to, you know, find a way to get him open. You know, two years ago he was unbelievable. Last year he had a rough year. This year he's off to a very rough year. Well, and, and keep in mind, uh, uh, Chris Johnson needs to understand, you you go after the offensive lineman first, that's not a very good idea. I, I always hate it when players jump on the soapbox and say, I confess he did it. Because uh, what, what are you getting out of that? You better also know that Mike Menchek, your head coach, was the offensive line coach. This is his guys. And he's at heart still an offensive lineman. Right. So you're not going to endear yourself to your head coach making comments like this. No, not at all. Second down at 14. Cutler again pressured. And again goes down. Seventh sack of the night. Clay Matthews has got him again. Let's move on to a couple other games. You know, obviously the the Thursday night game, Chicago and Green Bay. We talked about it last week. Jay Cutler comes out, just lights it up the first game, does a great job. Now he's calling out the Green Bay Packers and goes up, and the Packers, you know, took care of business. And and Jay Cutler now the question is, you know, where's Jay Cutler now? Is he the leader? Had to get after one of his own offensive linemen, which I think they're making a bit of, a bit about nothing. I mean, any how many times does Tom Brady go after? His guys, Peyton Manning and Jeff Saturday, well documented on film. You know, way these guys would deal with one right. another. But because it's Jay Cutler, he seems to be a lightning rod. He is a lightning for, rod. <laughs> for, you know, is this guy the real deal? And he's he's a hard guy to like. Well, I think it's, you know, the four interceptions, again, is how they interpret it. It's like, should you have thrown two of those balls? I mean, did you just let them go to let them go? Or were you really uh, ready to go? Were you tired of being sacked? Or were you just getting rid of the ball? I mean, there are a lot of things. Now, you know, remember I already said the question last week was how good are the Bears? Well, it's hard to say, but I know you cannot be an up-and-down team, and that's really what they were. I think they thought that they had their offensive line issues solved. Remember now, Clay Matthews pretty good uh, pass rusher, but the, the the Green Bay Packers are not one of the better pass rush teams overall. They don't have three guys that can rush the passer, that can run stunts, and they can get pressure on. They're not considered that kind of defensive team. Well, they got sacked seven times, and beyond the fact that the offensive line, we've talked about uh, Chicago really not addressing its offensive line needs. Last year they took Gabe Creamy in the first round, and, and he missed a lot of the year, so he's really like a rookie this year. But they really haven't addressed their offensive line. They Mike Tice, a guy that we've worked with together, an old line coach, has confidence in that group. But uh, beyond the fact that obviously you can have a bad day and, and your offensive line may be, can, can be iffy, you watch that game. You know, they had too many one-on-ones with, with Matthews. Right. You, you've got to get – I mean – You've got to get some help. I don't care if you turn the line, put the tight in there, chip with the back. But they had way too many one-on-one matchups, for my liking, with uh, Clay Matthews. Yeah, especially he's hot. He, you know, he's going to play up. It's a big game. And, you know, they had some concerns. And so he was going to really come out and try to play his game. And I think that's what he did. You know, for Green Bay, just to touch on it briefly, we're seeing more and more teams doing no huddle. We already talked about Baltimore jumping on the bandwagon now and, and doing that and doing it very successful. Green Bay doing more of it. I don't know if I like uh, Aaron Rodgers in the no huddle. He obviously can do it. Right. But Mike McCarthy is so good at orchestrating 
rolling personnel through there, making the defense keep up with him, orchestrating the calls. He'll give him latitude at the line of scrimmage. Has been so successful with it. They're so dynamic in terms of the receiving core and, and what they're able to do. They've got a back in Cedric Benson now that can give, give them a legitimate push in the running game. Um, not that it's a bad thing, but I'm, for me, for no huddle and, and Aaron Rodgers, I'm not sure I didn't like better the way they orchestrated it the last couple of years. Well, I think it's just another weapon that they want to use, and, I, and part of it also is the tire out the deep we know it can tear right. out the defensive lineman uh you know put them in a situation there they went in some concern about chicago and the chicago's with julius pepper and his ability to put pressure on them and i think they definitely wanted to have that as part of their arsenal that if we need to we can go no hello we can tear these guys out uh make them chase us around on these screens and then we can move the ball on them well, let's let's talk about the Thursday night game that's going to be uh, on the NFL Network. Uh, it's the Giants at the Panthers. Um, going to be an interesting matchup. The Giants, obviously, a huge offensive day for them. Got to be worried a little bit about where they're at defensively. I know that secondary still uh, binged up a little bit. They're going to play a Panther group with, obviously, Cam Newton and the dynamic he brings. Now, they've got some history. They've got... Michael Vick that they face twice a year, now RG3 that they're going to have to face. So they understand, in fact, if I'm not mistaken, it's the Giants that first laid out the template a little bit for playing Michael Vick in terms of filling the rush lanes, bringing enough pressure, not necessarily to get to the quarterback. I mean, they obviously want to do that, but you fill up the rush lane so he has no place to run. Um, I think they'll have a good plan against Cam Newton. But it'll be interesting to see how they hold up defensively against what really could be. And Cam Newton had better than 60 yards rushing. Uh, He's obviously throwing the ball well. Uh, I'm going to be interested to see the plan that New York has for Carolina. Well, my concern with the Giants would be they, they seem to have a lot of guys running free. And when you have guys running free, it's a it's a, a sign that you're not spacing properly in your zone. And when you're not spacing properly in your zone, that's when quarterback scrambles really hurt you. That's when Cam Newton takes off and gets a 60 or 70-yard run because you're out of position. You know, their their secondary has really, you know, been a thorn. And so, I mean, they made Tampa, who's – I have a hard time believing that Tampa is that phenomenal right. offensively they can put up those kind of points. So I think it's going to be a tough one. And, and you expect at uh, the Giants going on the road, they kind of got away with one last week. They pulled it off. They got one win. They're one and one. You'd expect them to play one of their best games. You know, against uh, against the Panthers, you know, emotionally also, you wonder if that's not going to hurt them a little bit. They had to do so much to beat Tampa. You know, what I mean, you know, it took so much out of them that they might have a hard time on the road at Carolina. And on a short week for that Carolina defense that is still kind of rebuilding. All the focus with Ron Rivera and, and Carolina Panthers and what they're doing with Cam Newton and building offensively. Um, defensively, they, they they weren't very good last year, and they've obviously got to build that up. That's, that's Ron Rivera's uh, expertise, so to speak. Um, but – Eli Manning, I mean, 600 yards. Off. That's hard to get 600 yards offense in a, in a pure scale game, in a passing league game. Well, you know what? I mean, I just think that there were a lot of a lot of missed tackles and a lot of guys running free. And I think, you know, we're not playing great defense right now with some of the teams, you know, in the uh, in the uh, NFL. And I, I just think the Giants are one of them. So, you know, Carolina Carolina could could pull that upset. I think at home, Cam Newton is uh, had a nice little comeback game last week, and I think he'll look to do even better this week. And to see how, you know, on a short week, uh, New York having to go on the road on a short week, which is always difficult because you really do lose an extra day of preparation on a short week anyway. But um, that was an emotional, hard-fought game in New York. 
ending up the way it did with the, with the, the slicing on the uh, take the knee we've already talked about. But that was a hard-fought game. That takes a lot out of you. That uh, Let me ask this, because we've already talked about, I, I always feel like, particularly in the NFL, going on the road and winning is hard to do. I, I think harder to do in the NFL than any other team sport. The question would be, because I get asked this a lot, because I bring it up all the time, right. about how hard it is to win in the NFL on the road. Part of it is there's only 16 games, and right. you only have the eight opportunities. But then there, there's people that ask me, well, wait a minute now. You know, Major League Baseball and, and the NBA, you're gone for these long road stretches. We leave on Saturday. Right, Stand, uh, fly for in a great you know private plane, right. <laughs> you great hotel, you play on Sunday and you go home. It's not like this is it should wear you down. Why is it so hard to win on the road? Well, I think the whole the whole idea that everything's different too. You know, the home team has the advantage they have familiarity on their part. Uh, they're in their own bed. They have their own environment. When you go on the road, you know things can go wrong. As we used to say, don't worry about the food. Don't worry about the bed. Don't worry about the wake up call. You try to take all those issues and take it off the players' hands. But at the same sense, you know you're going into hostile territory, and you have to have a certain mentality. And now the Giants have done that. I mean, you know, last year in the Super Bowl, the other yep. Super Bowl year, they played better on the road and had a better road record. Then they had it home. So this is going to be one of those times I guarantee that Tom is going to tell those guys, hey, we really are a road team. We had to win on the road last year. We won on the road last year. And that's why we got a Super Bowl. But I'm concerned, I think, the secondary. I mean, I, I winning on the road and all that stuff. But I think that the, that being out of position in zone passing means you're going to be out of position. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if Cam went for over 100 yards. Well, and and I learned from you, and we 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 both learned from a Bill Walsh that you know good teams are going to play well on the road, but it is a mindset. It really is. You have to create the right mindset for your team to to know what it is to go on the road to set that routine. Right. You know, at home you got a routine, and and it, it's predictable, and you know what it is. But on the road, you've got to create that same routine. Uh, because playing on the road is difficult, and if you're going to be a good team, you're going to have to win on the road. Before we close out here, I've got to talk a little bit about the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, this is as impressive a team. You know, we, I've got a power ranking that I do that, I tell you what, this is as complete a team. I don't think I see another team on the horizon right now. Houston looks pretty good, but they haven't been challenged yet. Yeah. San Francisco beating Green Bay on the road, coming home and, and beating Detroit, who's a good football team. They look like the most complete team in the NFL right well, now. Well, they don't make any mistakes defensively. Anything you do against the San Francisco 49 defense, you've got to earn it. So all the yardage you get, you've got to earn. All the plays you make, you have to earn it. And I think that's what separates them. Number two, they really run the ball and they're physical. They, and they like being physical. Alex Smith is really playing well. He's getting the ball to the tight ends. He's getting the ball to the backs. He's throwing a little bit to the wide receivers because he's throwing the ball on the inside to Crabtree as an inside receiver. So his difficulty pass, pass of difficulty are not there. He's making some really good sharp passes, and I, I think right now they are playing better than anybody else. I mean, the teams that are two and older, the Cardinals and guys like that. I think the Forty ers are number one. Yeah, their ability and defensively, the job Vic Fangio, the defensive coordinator, is doing. This is uh, he's got a talented group that I had a couple of their games last year, and you could just see I had them early, then I had them later, and you could see had some questions early. But then later on, these guys are buying in. They recognize yeah, this is pretty good. He's going to put us in the right spot. They're playing with such confidence right now uh, that this is going to be uh, this is going to be a team that clearly is going to be there going down to the end. And they've got the confidence, having had the success that they did last year, uh, that is going to build on it. Right now, I would put 
as I have, I, San Francisco and Houston clearly have to be the top two teams in the AFC and the NFC. I think so, and I, and I know that Houston has not had uh, as difficult schedule, but they have all the pieces, though. Yeah. They're very good defense, a solid defense, play cover two, Benny Ross. You're not going to see guys running around wide open. Assignment defense is something they do well. A one-two punch in running the ball, and Foster and Tate, they bang the ball. They can throw the ball with Johnson, haven't had to throw the ball as much. I mean, it looks to me like they've still got some reserve. You know what I mean? They've got some gas in the tank still, and they're just getting started. I don't think they've had to use it all. So they are impressive, and, and I, I would say the AFC right now, you know, having New England having loss and, and all that, I think Houston might be number one, and I think 49ers are number one in the NFC. Yeah, and Houston in the division they're in with, a, with the, is a little suspect right now with Jacksonville and Tennessee scrambling around the, the way that they do. Um, the, and Indy, obviously, even though they had a good win and, and uh, uh, Andrew Luck was a great win for an Indianapolis, they're a team that's still going to be building. They could, a little like San Francisco, they could wind this thing up fairly early. Which adds its whole other dynamic that if by the end of November, early December, they've got a, they've got their spot secured in terms of the playoffs, that's going to give them. They'll have to orchestrate it just right, Gary Kubiak. We, when, when we get there, we'll talk about it because there's right. going to be any number of teams that. Well, do you play your starters? Do you back off? How do you deal with this? Depending upon their their uh, where they're going to end up in the playoffs, but they've got a chance to play in a way that allows them to be very fresh going into the playoffs compared to a team like New England and Baltimore right. that may very well have to slug their way in. Well, I think that was the case last year with San Francisco. That was a 13-3. and That was a fresh 13-3. and It was not a beat-up 13-3. and They played well. They played well early. They were the class kind of of the of that uh, uh, NFC West, and they jumped out on everyone, and I think that's the way they played. And so I, I think they're going to be like that again. It, it's just going to be hard for a, a lot of teams to beat San Francisco. It looks to me that's another 13-3, and 14-2 team in San Francisco, and I think that Houston could be a team that can rise in that 12-4 and four category also. Well, that's going to do it for the Coaches Show podcast. You can download the Coaches Show podcast from iTunes. Or go to NFL.com slash podcast. And, of course, I want to hear from you. You can tweet me at Coach Billick because we want to hear what you want to talk about. Also, be sure to catch the Coach's Show on the NFL Network every Monday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Thanks for listening.